Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you on this Sunday morning. Why don't we do this? Let's just come over in these middle couple of sections as we get started this morning. Let's stand together, and I wish you would take just a moment and say hello to someone and tell them you're happy they're in church today. It is good to be at New Life on this Sunday, October 8th, 2023. We'll have uh, a great, great day in the Lord today, and we're thankful that we get to be in church today. Very thankful we get to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 As you're coming in, let's just fill in these middle sections, and then once we have this class, you can then uh, move into other areas for our worship service. While you're standing, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask Him to anoint this uh, time together, this consideration of His Word. Every time we open up the Bible, we need to hear from God, and we need to know what His Word has to say to us, and that takes an open and a willing heart. So let's pray right now. Would you lift your voice with me and let's thank the Lord for this day. We love you today, Lord. We're thankful in the name of Jesus for all of your blessings in our life. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a good and a faithful God, and we exalt you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can consider your word. We can open up this pure word from the Lord, and we can hear, Lord, who you are and what you have to say to your church today. Lord, we thank you for another day you've provided for us, Lord, another day to be in your presence. And I pray, Lord, you will bless this class this morning. Bless all of our classes around this campus. Let this be a marvelous day as we're in the presence of the Lord. And we thank you for your goodness. We commit this time into your hand in the name of Jesus. And everyone in the house, would you say amen? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I will have more to say about this in our worship service, but certainly we are Uh, living in a very interesting time in our world right now. There is a lot going on in our world, and uh, this is the day to be right with God. Amen? This is the day to be in His church, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, involved in His kingdom, and, uh, and I'm glad you're here, and we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord. We're beginning a new track uh, today, a new series of lessons around our campus here in the worship center specifically we're going to be teaching on apostolic doctrine. And one of the earmarks of the first church found in the history book of the New Testament, which was the book of Acts, is that they continued steadfastly, the Bible says, uh, in teaching and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. Uh, but they were a church given over to the apostles' doctrine. And uh, it was something that permeated who they were, and it continued on from there. And I'm glad that we can follow that Apostles' Doctrine today. I'm glad we can be committed to that same teaching, that same uh, truth that they followed, and we're going to just dive into it. Just to give you a perspective, uh, we're going to be covering quite a few different topics in this next few weeks in this track. Uh, Sin, faith, and repentance will be next week. Baptisms of both water and spirit. Inner holiness, outward holiness, the missional element of the church demonstration and giftings, all of those things will be dealt with uh, throughout our time together in this track. And don't miss one Sunday uh, at 930 because we're going to be really just diving in and seeing what the word of the Lord would say to us. Today I want to teach on the oneness of God. Everybody say the oneness of God. Amen. This is a trait of the apostolic church that is powerful. It is a separating doctrine. It is something that is very important to understand uh, because the doctrine of the oneness of God or the singularity of God identifies who God is. 
And I really feel strongly that the Bible teaches that he wants to be known by his people. I don't think God uh, takes any joy in being some mystical, ethereal force that cannot be known. There's faith groups around the world that adopt that type of mentality about the God they worship. But the God that we worship wants to be known. He wants to be known. Now, there certainly is an element when it comes to God and man. There's a separating line. There's a reason that we are not God. Amen. Why don't you look at someone and say, whether you like it or not, you're not God. Would you just tell someone that right now? Just give them a little revelation today. They're not God. So there is a distinction. There is a a, a place that we we get to and we say, well, we're not God. There are some things we have to, to just embrace by faith. But the Bible is clear on the nature of God and who God is. So let's jump in. I want you to keep your Bibles close because we're going to look at several verses of Scripture. So did you bring your Bible? Hold your Bible up if you got your Bible this morning. You got your Bible, your phone, tablet, Bible in your hand, something. Amen. First of all, I think it's important to understand when we consider the oneness of God that the Bible clearly and consistently teaches that God is one. Amen. The Bible clearly and consistently teaches that God is one. There is not a plurality in the essence of God, according to Scripture. Uh, The word essence literally means the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract that determines its character. Essence is the very intrinsic nature of something. If you boil it down, if you find out what it really is, that's the essence of something. And according to Scripture, the essence of God is that He is one. Everybody say, God is one. Let's look at Scripture that bears this out. Look in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. The Lord is giving instruction and He is instructing on not only who he is, but how people are to follow him and how people are to understand him. And he says to his people, and he says it emphatically, hear, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, hear, O Israel. Now that's a different way of saying, listen up right now. Hear, O Israel. Hear, children of God. And then he defines who he is. The Lord our God The Lord is one. He goes on to talk about how people are to worship him, and and yet he identifies who he is. He's not a plurality of gods. Uh, He is one God. And we, we have to understand that when this is being spoken, there are heathen nations surrounding the children of Israel that are dependent on worship to a plurality of gods, dozens and hundreds and thousands perhaps of gods that they worship. And so God is drawing this distinction between all of the other gods and himself. And he says, I want you to know that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Would you say that again? The Lord is one. In the New Testament book of Galatians, Paul the Apostle is writing to that church in Galatia, verse 19 of chapter 3. And he says it like this, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hands of a mediator. Now watch this next phrase. 
Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Amen. And so Paul is drawing this distinction between the word mediator and the singularity of God. Without doubt, you and I think of the word mediator, and we naturally, intrinsically think of at least more than one person. And yet Paul says, when it comes to God, there's only one God, that God is one. The Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 45, and verse number 20, the Lord speaks through Isaiah, the prophet, to his children. He said, assemble yourselves and come, Isaiah 45 and 20. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Now, it is one thing, I've said this before, those of you that are part of this church, you've heard me say this. It is one thing for me to lift my voice and say there is no other God like our God. But it is a whole different thing when that God says of himself, there is no God beside me. There is no God. Because he knows everything. He is not uh, confined by the strappings of my finite uh, frame or my finite mind. He said, there is none beside me. Now, why is this important? Why is the singularity, the oneness of God important? Because as one, God is unique and he is exalted. He is unique and he is exalted. He is above Everything that he creates. He is the one and the only one that is deserving of worship. Because he is unique. Because he is exalted above every other God. So the Bible clearly teaches that God is one. Secondly, the Bible teaches that God is spirit. Everybody say spirit. Take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus is speaking uh, to the woman at the well. He is engaging her in conversation. And um, he's talking about the Father seeking such to worship him. And then he gives her strong theology and revelation there as he visits with her. He says, God, John 4 and 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is spirit. Everybody say spirit. The very essence of God is that he is spirit. Someone says, well, what is God? Who is God? You can honestly answer from scripture because Jesus said it himself. God is spirit. Now, by virtue of that, we also can understand that the Bible teaches that God is invisible. This is the nature of a spirit. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15. It's speaking, Paul here is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And here's what he says about him. Who is the image of the invisible God. So spirit by nature is invisible. God is spirit. 
God is invisible. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, his, his young minister in training in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the king, eternal, immortal, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, invisible, the only wise God. So we begin to see a little more of the nature of this one God. He is spirit. He is invisible. Now thirdly, I think it's important that we not miss this. Because in the very essence of God, that he is invisible. In fact, in fact, uh, John said it like this in his gospel. John chapter 1 and verse number 18. No man has seen God at any time. But because in his very essence, God is spirit and he is invisible, God has chosen to show himself. God has chosen to manifest himself over time. Thank God for this. So that we in our frame, in our sensibilities, can know that God is there. Because if, if he doesn't manifest himself in a way that's understandable to us, we're finite. We're not invisible. At least I don't think we are. Look at someone around you and make sure that they're there, okay? But God has chosen in his grace, his sovereignty, to manifest himself so that we can see his activity at work. The Bible teaches that God has manifest himself in several different ways. He's manifest himself in nature. Do you know you can see God in nature around us? Amen. Uh, some of you may have really felt like you, you saw the Lord when you got up and went outside this morning. And we finally entered fall in Arkansas. And you might have said, praise the Lord. <laughs> what is that? That's an acknowledgement of something. But the Bible teaches that nature shows God. Psalm 8 Verses 3 and 4, the psalmist said, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? The psalmist is declaring that nature itself manifests God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul writes and says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Nature is revealing this. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Everybody say nature. Nature is manifest is a manifestation of God. Uh, the Bible also tells us that in the, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the, the, the God of eternity manifested himself in a couple of pretty remarkable ways. A pillar of cloud during the day up in the sky and a pillar of fire up in the sky at night. Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and, and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day. Notice what I just read. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so God manifested himself, showed himself 
to his people. Again, God always has wanted to manifest himself. This invisible spirit manifests himself or shows himself. The scripture teaches that God also manifests himself as father. Everyone say father. We look at this term in scripture and intrinsically we think creator when we think father. That's what fathers do. They are creators. We see this attribute of this invisible God manifesting himself as a father. We see it in his creating and his fashioning of man from the dust of the ground and woman from the rib of man. Let's make sure we understand this in scripture. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We go one more chapter into Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. And the scripture says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. This God manifesting as a creator. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Just a few verses beyond that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep. To fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into woman and he brought her to the man. Again this invisible eternal spirit God manifesting himself as creator. We also see him as father as he guided his children the children of Israel out of Egypt out of the bondage of Egypt through the wilderness, into the promised land of Canaan. Again, manifesting himself as father. We also see in scripture that this great God manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. The eternal spirit of God manifesting in the lives of believers through the indwelling Holy Ghost. I I like to say it like this, and I think this is an understandable way to discern this. The Holy Spirit is God in his spiritual activity among men. And we'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is God in his spiritual activity among men. We we come into this wonderful place on Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, special event after special event, and we begin to sense the moving of the Holy Spirit. We see it touching people's lives. We see people responding to the Holy Spirit. What is that telling us? It's telling us that God himself is among us. He's manifesting himself through the Holy Spirit. We see this borne out in Acts chapter number 2. When many are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak with other tongues as the initial evidence or sign of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know that some may say, well, you know, when someone receives the Holy Spirit, it is a silent thing, and it's just kind of there, and no one really knows that. Well, that's not consistent with how God has manifested himself. So it ought not to surprise us that when God manifests himself filling someone's life, there is that 
signal or that, mani that manifestation signal that comes when we begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance as that initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is absolutely congruent with how God works. He manifests himself. He shows himself. It is indication that the eternal God has filled my life. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And then we begin to see other things that transpire. Fruit of the Spirit. Manifestations of that Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Everybody say, I'm working on those. Amen. What is that? That's the manifestation of this eternal spirit working in, in the lives of, of spirit-filled people. And then there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nine of them referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Again, the working of the Holy Spirit that is being made manifest so we can see it. Now, there's a lot of teaching on that. We won't get into teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, but there's a lot of teaching on that, and, and, and it's just another great example of the manifestation of this eternal God. And then we see that God is also manifest and has been manifest in Jesus Christ. Everybody say, in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, according to Scripture, was God manifest in flesh. You say, well, do I need to take your word for that? No, I want you to take the scripture for wor Scripture's word for that. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up into glory. Now I want you to know how was God. Let me just ask a question. Not a trick question. How was God believed on in the world, in this actual world? He was believed on when Jesus Christ walked this earth and people believed him to be God in flesh, believed him to be the Son of God. And this is, is beautiful. God was manifest in the flesh. The Bible does not teach, and please just stay with me for a few more moments. God, the Bible does not teach that Part of God was manifest in the flesh. A portion of God was man. The Bible says God himself was manifest in flesh. And we have to realize today that the manifestation's purpose was for the redemption of mankind. This is why God came in flesh. Was for the redemption of mankind. Jesus was the proper sacrifice for man's sinfulness. Amen. This is why God came in flesh. Jesus is not a part of God. He is God. Let's, let's prove this from, from Scripture. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the Old Testament prophet 
prophesies, unto us a child is born. He's prophesying about this baby that would be born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name, whose name? The son's name. The child's name. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is proof that Jesus was not a part of God. He was God manifest in flesh. Amen. Isaiah prophesied it many, many years before Jesus would lay in that manger. John chapter 14 and verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Watch this now. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him. Watch this now. And you have seen him. He said, you have seen this invisible God manifest in me, flesh. Philip said to him, Lord, Philip just didn't quite get it yet. Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, and I like to think in my Bible that there's a little scolding going on right here. Kind, but a little bit of scolding. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Jesus was God, everything about God manifest in flesh. Amen. Now, let me go back to a verse that I referenced just a little bit ago in John chapter 1. And verse number 18, and we'll rehearse it again. And look at, look at the, the way this bears out this oneness, this singularity of God. Here's what John said. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. Look at this next phrase. And I don't know that I had him put this on the screen. He has declared or shown him. He, Jesus, has shown the eternal God. He has manifest the eternal God. In in referencing Isaiah's prophetic writing in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23, the scripture says, and quoting again Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Now, so we understand this this morning. When the term son, as in son of God, is mentioned in Scripture, we can insert the word flesh. We can understand the word flesh because Jesus was the manifested personification of God. He was flesh and spirit. Amen. He was flesh, born from the womb of Mary, but he was also 
spirit, because the Bible says it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary to be able to conceive. How does the scripture tell us this? Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So so many times, I understand this from just a matter of, of human thinking. We think in terms of son, and we think of it at least more than one, father, son. But when we understand that God himself was manifested in flesh, that term son refers to the flesh manifestation, the flesh manifestation. We, we can refer to this, and some of you have heard this word before, incarnation. Everybody say Incarnation. Incarnation is a Latin phrase or wording that means to make into flesh. So all that God is, is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Every attribute is seen or manifest in Jesus Christ. To prove this further, let's look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. For in him... Who's the him? That's Jesus. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. The fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of the nature of God, the fullness of the intrinsic nature of God dwells in Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked on this earth, that was God manifest in flesh. Praise God. Now, as a side note, and I'll just throw this out, Jesus, the name Jesus, is the revealed name of God. It is. We go to the Old Testament and we see the Hebrew people who would never even utter what would come close to being the name of God. And yet we get to the New Testament, when John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness and points a bony finger at a man walking down the road and says this, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Who is he declaring to be the Lamb of God? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. And so Jesus is the revealed name of God, the one manifest in flesh. Thereby, Jesus is the revealed name of God as Father. Jesus is the revealed name of God as the, the, the Son of God. Jesus is the revealed name of God working as the Holy Spirit, manifested as the Holy Spirit. Now, this is why there is a synchronization, when we understand this, with what Jesus taught according to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, when he's on the mountain, and he's giving the commission to go and to reach the world to his disciples. He says, go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't see a disconnect when they come off of that mountain of commandment 
and go into Jerusalem and begin to actually do what Jesus commanded. Because when they went into Jerusalem and they began to do what Jesus commanded on the mountain, water baptized people, they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter preached it boldly just a few days later, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why was that not a disconnect? Because he was preaching about the revealed name that identifies every attribute of God. As Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit, that revealed name of God. Aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful for that? Now, in closing, let me say this. The Bible teaches, and I think they'll put this on the screen. I tried to just boil this down. You talk about a miracle. We can talk about Jesus turning water uh, to wine. The miracle is teaching the oneness of God in 35 minutes. That's the real miracle. But the Bible teaches that our creator became our savior and is also the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. Our creator became our savior and is also the indwelling Holy Spirit. I I like the way, and I'll finish with this, I like the way that I heard this recently. We can compare God's self-revelation and his progressive work of salvation to the role of a teacher. We have several teachers in our church. For example, a teacher can explain to a class how to write the letter T. If I was to stand up here in front of you and say, now I'm going to explain to you how to write the letter T. And I was to have a whiteboard up here, and I was to say, now here's how you write the letter T. You have one line that comes down, one line that goes across. We're learning something here in this track today. One line that comes down, one line that comes across. And then I would say to the class, now I want you to write the letter T. And and, and people begin to take out a piece of paper and a pen, and they begin to write the letter T. And as the teacher, I come down to where you are, and I put my hand over your hand, and I begin to guide that writing instrument with you and, and, and write the letter T. I have told you and explained how to write it. I have shown you how to write it. And now I am guiding you as you write it. Likewise, under the old covenant, our heavenly father, the God of eternity, told us how to live. He told his children He gave them over 600 commandments found in the Old Testament on how to live for God. And then he, God, came in flesh and showed us how to live in submission. This is a beautiful understanding right here, folks. One of the great things, Jesus was a miracle worker, did all these wonderful things. But Jesus also showed us that flesh can be submitted to spirit. This was one of the great examples that Jesus showed us, is that flesh can be submitted to spirit. And then under the new covenant, he fills us with his spirit. 
He fills us with that Holy Ghost. And that enables us to live according to his will. It's as though when his spirit fills us, he puts his hand on our hand. And according to scripture, that Holy Ghost will lead and guide us and show us all truth. Isn't it wonderful to know who God is today? Isn't it wonderful to know the singularity of this one true living God? I want us to stand together right now. And I want us just to thank God for this Can I say it like this? This theology. What I'm teaching today is theology. This is the the knowledge of God himself. And I want us to thank God for this right now. What, What a truth that God has given us from his word. Let's thank him for it. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to give us your word so that we can know who you are, Lord. You are one. You said that of yourself, Lord. You are one, and we declare that, Lord. We as a church declare that today. As a pastor, as a preacher, I declare that today over this church, that you are one. We believe in that oneness of who you are, the oneness of God. We embrace that, Lord. We preach that. We declare that today, Lord. And we thank you for this rich theology, this rich understanding of who you are this morning. What a great God you are. What a great God you are all by yourself, Lord. Thank you that you love us enough to give us your word, Lord. Seal this word as we continue to work through these scriptures personally, Lord. Reveal yourself. Reveal your your mighty power in our lives, Lord, through your word and your spirit. And we're going to thank you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you are finding some understanding as the word is taught here today? Would you just wave at me? I want to see just a show of hands. You're finding some understanding of this God that we worship today. Amen. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for being in this track session. We've got a few minutes, and uh, we will join, be joined by all of our other ministries that are coming from around our campus. Make sure you greet some folks and tell them you're happy they're here. Our prayer room is open in just a few moments for you to join us for prayer. We encourage you to do that. We're going to have a marvelous, marvelous day in the presence of God today. Praise God. Thank you for being here.